If you have your Bible, stand up and hold your Bible above your head and bear witness of God's Word. Be able to turn around and show it to somebody while you're greeting them and telling them how happy you are to see them here today. You may be seated, please. There are three places I would like you to turn today. Turn, if you will, to the book of Matthew chapter 26, John chapter 10, Romans chapter 8. This message will be front-end loaded with Scripture because we can't base a message on opinion or just some kind of story that we have to tell. We need to base it on Scripture. Matthew 26, John 10, Romans 8. When you find your place, say, I have it. We have the privilege today to be observing Holy Communion at the end of this service. When I say communion, that means we're coming together with God in an ordinance that Jesus set aside. We're doing this to remember what he has done for us. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. And so I start with the scripture that takes us back to the time that Jesus was eating the Passover meal with the disciples. So many times we don't know that. We call it the Lord's Supper. We see the people around the table, but we're forgetting he was going to be dying on the cross, giving himself for a sacrifice. He was the Paschal Lamb. He was the sacrificial lamb, but yet he was giving the Passover meal. They were having a Passover meal. And he began to use this example as he talked to his disciples, letting them know that, hey, in the same way that this Passover was set up, going all the way back to the book of Exodus where God freed the children of Israel. And then he said, listen, I want you to observe this day and keep observing this day because this is the day that I freed you from bondage. And so they took a lamb and they took that lamb and they brought that lamb into the household and they got to know that lamb. They spent time with that lamb and then the lamb had to be killed because the sacrifice had to be satisfied with the blood of the lamb. They put the blood above the doorpost, down the sides, representing that they believed and they accepted that Passover lamb. Jesus, knowing he was going to be that Passover lamb, began to speak to all those disciples that were sitting with him, even though he had told them earlier, we must go to Jerusalem. The Son of Man must be lifted up. I don't think it dawned on them, do you? Until they began to see things happening. Now listen, Matthew 26, we begin in verse 26. As they were eating, Jesus took bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and he gave thanks and he gave it to them saying, drink you all of it. For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sin. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of the fruit of this vine until the day when I drink it anew with you in my father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. Now, I want you to focus on something in verse 26, please. He took the bread, notice this and underline this. I couldn't get away from these two words. It says he took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it. But notice this, he gave it to the disciples. Say it with me. What did he do? He it. One more time. There was a transfer. He gave it. Then he took the cup. And if you notice in verse 27, he took the cup, he gave thanks. He gave it to them. What did he do? 
He gave it to them. He gave it and he said, eat of it. He gave it and he said, drink of it. I want to tell you something that I think is paramount. No one else in the world could ever give the first holy communion between man and God, but Jesus. He was the only one that could give it because he was the only one that was going to give it. He was the Passover lamb. So he gave it. It's important that we realize he gave it. Now, how did he give it? Did he give it begrudgingly? Did, did he give it unwillingly? Turn to John chapter 10. The Bible says in John chapter 10, verse 17 and 18. Listen, therefore doth my father love me. Why does he love me? Listen, therefore doth my father love me because I lay down my life that I might take it again. He laid down his life that he might take it again. Both of those things are say, things that he's saying he willingly did. So we know that he gave it, but how did he give it? Did he give it willingly? Well, he doesn't want you to be confused. So in verse 18, in John 10, we see this. He wanted to make sure we knew this. He said, no man taketh it from me. No man took Jesus' life, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. Knowing that Jesus gave his life for us, it matters how he gave his life. So many times, we phrase something in such a way that says, this is the time we, that, that we're going to recognize coming up on this time of year where they crucified Jesus. They killed Jesus. Understand, that's what happened, but they didn't kill him. He allowed himself to be killed. He said, I laid down my life. No man took it from me. Nobody took Jesus' life. He gave it. It's a difference in the way that we see things. It's all perspective. If I were to stand in between you and a, a moving car by accident, something happened and the car hit me first, well, that would be the way the story was told, right? I was between you and the car, and so the car hit me instead of hitting you. But if I saw the car coming, and I chose to step in front of the car so it wouldn't hit you. It would make a difference in the way you told that story the rest of your life, right? It would make a difference in the way you felt the rest of your life. And that's what I want you to see. It's a big deal that he willingly gave, that he laid his life down. No one took it from him. You see, he gave. He gave it. He gave it. He gave it. He gave it. Say it with me. Again. Keep on. You're getting weak. Man, you're getting weak. He gave it. Those words stood out to me because so many times, you know, we forget that there was a lot of willingness that happened here. Not just Jesus giving his life. We read throughout the Bible that God gave. One of our most famous scriptures for God so loved the world that he gave 
his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And then we read in Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin are death is death, but the gift of God, well, what is a gift? A gift is something you what? You give. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. God gave. He gave himself. The Bible tells us that, that Jesus, that Jesus in John 1, he was the word that became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father. So God gave, Jesus gave. But if you look back and you think, hey, what did God give you? And you're stuck just there on salvation. Well, that's a good thing to recognize that he gave you. But God has continued to give to us. Or why would we really be singing, God, you're so good? Because something that, that he did that we keep referring back to, God continues to be good. He's got a perpetual goodness, and he perpetually gives. I was reading in the book of Romans, chapter 8. I had a, a verse that just stopped me in my tracks because I began to, to think about something, and God put a sermon around it. When you get to the 31st and 32nd, verse of Romans 8. We hear this phrase, what shall we say then? If God be for us, who can be against us? Boy, if we, if we really lived that, we wouldn't worry like we do, would we? If we really lived that, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be concerned about the people groups around us that may be against us, Right? If we really live that, we wouldn't panic when we see something happen in the news that we think is going to change our lifestyle or our quality of life, right? If God be for us, then who can be against us, right? But he backs it up with verse 32, and I want you to see verse 32. He that spared not his own son. Now listen, here's what he's saying. Now if God did this in giving, then he's more than willing to give something else. He that spared not his own son. Pretty big deal. He that spared not his own son. But delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Man, I couldn't get over it. Sometimes you wonder where your praise is. When life comes... It gets heavy or it gets complicated, right? But I saw a couple of words in here that really changed things for me. If God's for me, who can be against me, especially after he has done this phenomenal act of mercy and grace? What do you mean? If he spared not his own son, but he delivered him. Now, I took this word and delivered, and, and it was an intentional. You know, it's different. Braden, come here. If this is my son, and my son is going to face some trials in life, and he goes out, and he happens to do his own thing, and he gets in these trials of life, and go on, Braden, he's going through life, and he's going, and all of a sudden things happen to him, and it's just unfortunate. That's one thing. But Braden, if I take Braden, this is big, and he's my son, and I deliver him 
That means I've personally put him in a place to help somebody else that's going to be bad for him. That's big. When God said he did that for us, when we're told that if he spared not his own son, but he delivered him so that we could have our sacrifice met, that's a big deal. But the end of this verse really got me. Because when I began, I continued to read, he delivered him up for us all. So after that is done, the thought is done. He spared not his own son. If God be for us, who could be against us? And that he delivered him up. Then it's like this. Then he gets in our mind and he says, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Saying, think about it, people. If God went to this extreme in his giving... How would he not with that give you, freely give you all things? Well, what are all things? All things are these other things in life that we begin to stress and worry over. These are the provision, protection, these things that give us confidence, these other things, the peace, the security of life. How shall I need to freely give you all those things? And then I began to think about the word freely. Well, I read in John 3, 16 that God gave. I read in Romans 6 that it was a gift that God gave. I wrote, read in Romans 8 that God freely gave. But freely give means that it doesn't cost anything. And I'll tell you, as I go down this journey in Scripture, I begin to think about my own walk with the Lord. And there's some things that I always knew but looking at them in retrospect, I hope they can help you because when I began to, to grade my walk with the Lord, I, I noticed I had a couple of things wrong. I wish I wouldn't have. You see, we see that Jesus was willing to give to us. We see that God was and is willing to give to us and that he's willing to freely give. But I don't know that I thought about the significance of the gift being free. Now you can go to Romans 5 and you can read in Romans 5 and I give you this to read on your own. Read verses 15 through 18 sometimes. It talks about our sin nature came through Adam. But understand, there was a free gift given and free gift is mentioned four times just in that little passage. Free gift, free gift. And God says he freely gives. So what's the significance? Well, I don't want to sound too elementary to you, but when we say that our salvation is a free gift, if you think about it, being given something that's free to us means we don't have to pay for it. Now, I know that's not revelational to you today, but it's going to be. And here's why. You see, I want you to think about it. So many people think that in order to get something from God, we have to do something from God. In order to get something from God, we have to do something for him. And I began to think, if that were the case, then what God gives us wouldn't be free. It would be a payment. And for a long time in my life, and so many other people, when I talk to them, you know, they're thinking, hey, listen, I'm hoping I'm going to be with God. I hope I've been good enough. I hope I've done enough to get to God. Well, that means that you're hoping you've paid enough. God doesn't ask us to pay. God gave, and he said it was free. Now, hold your mind there, because there are some that are saying, 
Does that mean that God doesn't expect us to give him anything? Doesn't want God, doesn't God want us to give us, doesn't want God want us to give him our obedience? Doesn't want God want us to give him our faithfulness, our love, our time? Yes, he does. But he doesn't want us to give it to him as a payment so that he can give us the next blessing. I think we get in that our, our mindset as Christians sometimes. We feel like we need to keep making payments to God so that God will keep blessing us. We even teach that generationally. You better be good so that God can do something for you. No, hold on. God's already done something good. That's why you need to be good. We're looking at this thing as a payment in arrears, right? But that's not the case. He said, I freely give. It's free gift. Free gift, something you don't make a payment on. We don't have to pay for our blessings. We're clearly told that God gives us salvation because he loves us, not because we've paid for it. It sounds like this, Romans 5, 8. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That means when you were broken, when you were arrested, when your sin had you convicted and you had nothing to pay for it, Jesus paid for it. Amen. You don't pay for it. What do you do? Well, we're going to get to that, you see. When somebody does something like that and pays for something like that and gives you something, you see, Jesus made a payment so that you wouldn't have to. But so many times we think that we can come back in and, hey, here's what we have to do. We have to earn our way back. You know, God wants us to be obedient. But we don't have to use that as our payment. And when we have been disobedient, we don't have to come in and make a payment. And we've got that backwards. Do you know one of the largest denominational beliefs that call themselves Christians believe that if you mess up with God, then you can come back in and somebody will tell you what kind of payment that you need to make, what you need to say, what you need to think, what you need to do, how many of these you need to do, and you can go back out because you've made your payment. <laughs> you don't have a payment that you can make. Jesus made the payment. What does he want you to give? He just wants you to love him back. He made a payment of love. You see, he gives us salvation because we're willing to accept it through our belief and through our confession and through our repentance. So you're saying, well, he needs, to make, he needs for us to make a payment of belief and confession and repentance. No, belief, confession, and repentance are all part of acceptance. You can't accept unless you believe, you repent, and you confess to God. You see, you won't believe until you accept that what he's saying is true. You won't confess until you accept that what you've done was wrong. And you won't repent until you accept that you need to change what you've done. So that's part of acceptance. It's not a payment. You see, the price for our salvation was paid by Jesus. And I would never want you to take my word for it. So you can turn sometime in your notes to 1 Peter. If you turn to 1 Peter and you read chapter 1, verse 18 and 19. 
the Bible will tell you, for as much as you know that you are not redeemed with corruptible things, that's, that's like perishable things, material goods, money. You are not redeemed with corruptible things, silver and gold from your vain conversation received from tradition from your fathers. Listen, here's how you were redeemed. Redeemed means you've been paid for. You're redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish or spot. You were redeemed by Jesus. He paid the payment for our sin. He's the only one that could pay it. He never sinned. So he's the only one that could pay it. I can't pay for your sin. You can't pay for mine. Jesus can pay for ours, but we have to accept him as our payment. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5 that he was made sin for us, even though he knew no sin. This was the reason that he was made sin. That was the reason our sins were put on him. I remember singing that song, and I've sang it my whole life. Jesus paid it all, right? But I began to think about this next part of that verse. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. And I began to think, back in my Christian life sometimes, I took that verse literally. Because he paid for something for me, I owed him something. You say, well, you do. I think sometimes we get in our mind that we do. I think sometimes Christians get in their mind, everything that he's done for me, I'm so undeserving, I'm so unworthy, but hold on, your mind goes here, that, that I owe God everything, so this is what I'm going to do for him. But you know what? If you spend your life trying to pay back God, you'll fade away and you won't be a Christian that lasts long. You know why? Because you're making payments. And when you make payments, you get tired of making payments. But if you're, if you're basically giving gifts because you want to, you don't get tired of giving gifts because you want to. Now go here with me, because I believe this is the reason a lot of Christians fade away. We look at our service to God. We look at our worship of God. We look at our time with God, our devotion to God as payments that we're making because God did something for us. Listen, stop thinking that you have to pay him back. It was a, what kind of gift? Somebody remind me. That he gave, right? He wants you to accept it. And he doesn't want you paying anything. He wants you giving. I told you years ago, you know, about five years ago, I, I bought a truck. I told you one Wednesday night, we were trying, I was trying to talk about perspective. And I told you, you know what? I had this truck for a while and it came with payments, right? And I had had payments in a while, but I decided to have payments, and I realized that, hey, finally, I had a, a new truck. And when I would go and pay it, I'm still the guy that gets out, that fills the book out, that walks in and hands it to them so I make sure I don't do all that other stuff. I want to see a person. I want to see their stamp, right? So I'm walking into there, and I'm giving that. When I'm walking out to my truck, I'm looking at my truck, and I'm thinking, this was my mindset, Lord, I love this truck. Thank you for giving it to me. What a privilege that I had to pay for it. What a privilege I had. You gave me the money to make to pay for this truck and I get to ride in this truck. It's the nicest looking truck I see in the whole parking lot and you gave it to me. <laughs> you think I'm crazy? I never minded making a payment. Never minded making a payment as long as I kept that mindset. But then you get about four years into it. <laughs> truck getting washed up real good that day. A little something wrong with it here or there. Guess what? My mind got back to, how many payments do I have left on this thing? <laughs> you see, making payments will wear on you, won't it? 
But giving gifts because you want to, you can do that for your whole life. You see what I'm saying? Guys, we get it wrong so many times. He doesn't expect a payment from us. He expects the gift of love. He's Father God. We're children of His. You say, what do you mean? Well, I want you to understand this. You see, God's worthy of our love, but our love to God's not a payment. He wants us to be able to know that, hey, really, God doesn't want a payment that we have to pay. He wants a gift that we want to give. And when I began to thinking about this, I thought, how many times in my life as a Christian did I worship God and serve God, not thinking God wanted a want-to gift, not a have-to payment. Man, for years, my Christian life was about have-to payments to God. I'm sorry, judge me, but I'll bet a lot of other people's are too. And man, a have-to payment, that'll wear on you, right? And I began to think that God doesn't accept payments from us. He accepts gifts from us. We can't earn his love. We can't pay for his love. He loves us because he's Father God. He gave us salvation. He gives us love. He gives us mercy. He gives us grace. He gives us provision. He gives us protection, companionship, peace while we live in this earth. Not to mention, not to mention, he gives us, not to mention, he gives us eternal life afterwards. We can't pay him for that. No. What do we do? We love him back. This will help you. You see, Jesus, he gave his body. He gave his blood. He paid that price. Now, if I am trying to really thank God and please God, and I look at it the same way that a father-child relationship would be, well, I've I'm a father. I'm a, currently a father right now. Have been a father for a while. And I understand it a little bit better. And fathers, if this is the case, I need your help with this, okay? It's going to apply to mothers too. But if I know that my children that say they love me are only, are only loving me only giving me a, a payment of love because of what I think, what they think I'm going to give them back from that. Probably be hurt, right? Looking at it like a payment. But if they love me because of what I've done for them, willingly, and they expect nothing back, then that makes me want to give, you know? There's sometimes as a parent, you, you realize that your kids call you when they need you, right? But I think back, you know, when I come in from work and that child would come and jump in your, your lap before I could open my door to get out of my truck and they talk about missing me, you know, it made me want to give them something. Made me want to. Nobody had to tell me. Made me want to give them something. It's no different than God. You see, but if you start trying to play God, 
that God reads your mind. He reads my mind. I can honestly tell you that at a certain point in my Christian life, my motivation to do things for God was so that God would bless me. Oh, yours is too sometimes. Doesn't that sound selfish? It does. I'm revealing and I'm pouring, pulling the, the cape, the cover off of it today. I had an earnest, sincere conversation with my son not long ago, and he says, Dad, listen, sometimes when I'm tithing, he says, you know, I feel like I'm tithing because I, I want God to keep blessing me, and so I'm tithing. And that's an honest statement. How many people can say that? Oh, no, don't worry. I'm not going to start talking about money. I don't want to lose you, okay? Because <laughs> that's where our mind goes, because God needs something way more important than your money, Right? But I said, you know, you're right. And you can't help when your mind goes there because you know God is so faithful in blessing you. But you don't give because of what you think you're going to get. You give because of what you've already gotten. In other words, God expects us to give a want-to gift, not a have-to payment. I keep paying for my truck so I can keep driving it. Right? It's different. Jesus paid for everything. So there's nothing I can do to pay back. What I have to do is give the gift of appreciation, the gift of service, the gift of praise, the gift of relationship, the gift of prayer. And in turn, the giving principle is set in place. You see what happens is God puts the giving principle in place. What's the giving principle? Well, Jesus told us about it in Luke chapter six. He says, give and it shall be given unto you, pressed down, shaken together and running over shall he pour into your bosom, Right? He'll use the same measure to give to you that you've given. Well, does that mean that, hey, give so that God gives back? No, he's saying once the giving principle is put in place. Well, how does the giving principle get put in place? Here's how it gets put in place. He gave. He put it in place. Who put it in place? God put it in place. How did he put it in place? Through who? Through Jesus. And Jesus said, I freely give. He put it in place. What happens to it after that? That's up to us. There's some people that stop the giving principle. Some people that stop it before it starts. They refuse to accept the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. Now, tell me that phrase again. He gave, right? Tell me again. But if you refuse to accept what he gave, it's done. Guess what? God loves you. He'll keep trying to give. Here's the word. I'm going to let you hear it again. God loves you. So you're going to hear it today. You'll hear it from a friend that tells you. You've heard it before by somebody and it's on your heart. And the Holy Spirit is trying to say, God gave, God gave, God gave, God gave. Do you keep refusing it? If you keep refusing it, guess what? Here's what happens. You keep refusing it. The giving principle is shut down. You can go no further with God. But if God gives and you receive the giving principle is in place. Then who's, who's to give? Well, then it's for me to give. What am I giving? I'm giving my love back. I'm giving my gratitude. I'm giving my praise. I'm giving my worship. I'm giving my fellowship to God. And the giving principle is in place. And then what happens? Well, God is that loving father, that parent that says, you're loving me just because you're loving me. Let me just give you something. Now, if I stop If I stop looking at it as a gift and started thinking about it that God's having to pay me to love him, 
Well, then I'm no different than that parent that keeps giving that child something all the way through their life to keep them connected with them. Parent, if you're at a certain age and you have to keep giving your children something to make them love you, cut them off. Because they're just breaking your heart. You know it. You don't want somebody loving you because you're paying them to love you. But how many times do we feel like we're treating God that way? He doesn't need to be paid. The gift was a free gift. Now, here's another case. Sometimes as Christians, we give him, we give him our love and accept his gift, right? He gave, we accepted. But then we think at that time, okay, I look back on my salvation experience and I can tell you that I gave my heart and my soul to God. So for the rest of my life, I just need to expect God's blessings. He's going to keep giving. He's going to keep giving. He's going to keep giving. Hold on a sec. There's a giving cycle. We just expect sometimes God to keep giving. And then we get upset when my life isn't like I thought it would be. This relationship didn't work out. This health problem isn't the way I think it is. My financial position isn't the way I think it is. And guess what? We become that person that is expecting God to keep giving to us when God's reading our mind and knows the only reason that we're giving to him is because we're wanting something back. And then I watch people. You know what they do? They put a stop payment on their giving to God. Yes, I gave you my heart and soul, but life's too complicated right now. I've got too much going on to give you anymore. I can tell you something. Now, I didn't used to be this acute to it, but I can tell a person that is giving because they want to serve God or they want to love God. They're excited about that. I can tell a person that's giving because they want to from a person that's giving because they're having to make a payment. You can tell that person. They're bitter. Well, we've got to get up there and do this again. You say, well, did you hear me say that? Don't have to. It's on your face. How do, how do you know? Well, I've seen my face before. We get to that have to make a payment instead of wanting to give. Right? See, what happens at that time is the whole giving cycle is messed up. We messed it up. We began to think that it's all about God continuing to give us all these things in life to work out the way we want it to work out when he gave us the greatest gift. And all he's wanting us to give him is our love back and he'll continue to have that giving cycle. But somewhere or another, we began not to look at it as a, a gift that we were blessed to give. We look at it as something that we have to do. Anybody ever been there? Get real with me this morning. Show somebody beside of you. Been there? Raise your hand. How's that feel when you're serving that way? No. Here's the bigger picture. I told you a minute ago, I can tell. God's the one that can tell. If I can tell, you know, he can, he can read our hearts. You say, well, I, my life just keeps having all these things happen. You know, what's it going to take for us to examine ourselves? Well, they're not things that just 
change this and change that. And don't leave here saying, well, I'm blaming everything on myself. No, God gets our attention and says, I'm willing to love you through all these things. But we go through them ourselves. God wants a gift that shows our love. He wants a want-to gift, not a have-to payment. A want-to gift, not a have-to payment. And man, when I look back, when I look back on the sections of my Christian life, I definitely was looking at it wrong. When I sang, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe, I really took the payment book almost and thought I had to do half-two payments to keep God happy with me, to keep everything going. Can I get a witness? Everybody, anybody ever been like that? That's not the way it works. The payment has been made. Glory to God. You can keep praising Him. Well, what about what I give of my time? And what about when I, when I pay my time or when I pay this? Hey, that's not yours. God gave you every second of time you have. That's not your money. God gave you every dollar you have. That's not your stuff. God's allowing you to have it. And I mentioned money again. Don't let your mind go anywhere. Listen, when you get to a place where you want to give to God to help his work go on, nobody's making you do it. That's why you don't hear me talking about this. I would rather your heart be right with God. Nobody has to tell you. You know why? Because what you're doing is you're trying to just gift God and gift God and gift God. You don't need somebody on your back or looking down your, your back and just saying, hey, what are you doing? You better do this. Let me remind you to do this. No, nobody has to remind me to love my children. Nobody has to remind my children to love me. But we do have to be reminded that it's a gift, not a payment. And that's what we're doing today at the end of the service. What do you mean? Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. But what are we remembering? What did he say? This is my body. I give it to you. This is my blood. I give it to you. This thing started with a, a payment he made. It continues with the gifts that we make to him. You're not giving a gift to church. When you serve with the kids or the youth or you watch the nursery or you help people park or you serve, you're not giving a gift to the church. You're gifting the Lord. You're not paying for your salvation. You're just giving back a gift that you want to. As a matter of fact, when you stop wanting to, please call because th those gifts, they don't seem the same. We'll take you off of wherever. Somebody should have taken me off of something before. They just didn't know. Wow, I think I was surrounded by a bunch of people that were really doing half-two payments. So we all were like that. We could all gather around somewhere and talk about, hey, this isn't right or that isn't right or we've got to do that. That's not the way you give gifts, is it? You get where I'm coming from. What a privilege to give. What are you giving? Well, you could call it a bunch of different things, but basically you're giving back love. What do you mean giving it back? Well, the relationship doesn't start with you. You can't come up to God and say, God, I want to start a relationship with you. The Bible tells us in 1 John, 
It says we love him because he first loved us. How did he love us? He loved us and he gave himself for us, right? He started it. But so many people stop it right there. You see, the relationship means that you love back. There are different kinds of people in this world, and some people, unbelievers, they've never accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. They've never accepted God's gift of love. They refuse to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. They refuse to believe that they need to come to Him and confess they're a sinner and accept the sacrifice of Jesus to forgive their sin. They don't want the gift of God, or they're convinced they don't need it. That person that refuses to accept what God wants to give them and the sacrifice that Jesus gave, they never allow the giving process to begin between them and God. So it can't begin. And then there's some that do. They begin that process. But somewhere in the process, they begin to feel like they're making payments. You're not going to stay happy serving the Lord if you feel like you're making payments. That's why we're reminded today, he gave to us. He doesn't need anything you have except for you to love him back, to worship him. See, if you love him back, you're going to worship him. If you love him back, you're going to praise him. If you love him back, you're going to continue to get those things from him. Am I going to get richer? Yes. Can't promise you materially, but... Rich in grace, rich in mercy, rich in peace, rich in companionship, rich in, in, in just providence. You have a relationship with God Almighty that put the sun in its socket. Are you kidding me? Hey, he's my go-to. What do you pay for something like that? You can't pay for it. What do you do? You love him back. Why? Because God wants a want-to gift, not a have-to payment. God loves us. Jesus gave his life for us. It was a want-to gift that Jesus gave, but it was a payment. There's no more payment that needs to be made. I want you to Search your heart this morning. I'm going to ask Whitney to come. I want you to search your heart this morning. I want you to ask yourself a couple of questions. If you continue to bow your heads or can you bow your heads so that you can not be distracted by anything that you see and try not to distract at this point. At this point, I want you to think about your relationship with the Lord. First of all, we gave the evidence today God loves you. He sent Jesus Christ to die for you. He's the sacrifice for your sin. So he gave to you. He gave because he wanted to, because he loves you. That's what happens when you love somebody. You give gifts you want to. He wants to establish a relationship with you where there's a continual back and forth giving of of wanting to give. Giving love, giving time, giving all those things. There's some here that have not accepted that or some watching that may not have accepted that. You can't begin that relationship with God until you accept what he gave you. He gave you his son, Jesus Christ, as a sacrifice for your sin because you can't come to God. There has to be a sacrifice paid. Our sin blocks us between us and God, and so he made a way. But you have to accept his gift, and you accept it by being able to to answer that voice that's telling you this morning you're incomplete. You're incomplete. 
by telling God you believe in who he is and you believe that Jesus is your only way to get to him, that Jesus died a, a death but lived a sinless life. He died a sacrificial death. You accept Jesus' sacrifice for you and ask him to be your savior, confessing that you're a sinner. and you know, You'll start a relationship with him today because you've accepted his gift. After that, he just wants you to love him back. And you'll do it in many different ways. And you'll continue to see the, the best relationship that you could ever have. As a Christian, you have to be careful. I have to be careful. I want you to examine your heart today to see if right now, would God say I'm, I really am giving want to gifts to him? Want to gifts of love? If he were looking at my relationship with him, am I giving him want to gifts of love? Or am I giving half to payments? Or have I stopped giving payments? Yeah, you can get right with God today just by realizing that. You say, what do I get from that? A peace that passeth understanding. You'll have a peace with God. You'll be able to see the providence of God and the, you'll feel the love of God. I can't promise you anything any greater than that. And that's what God promises, a relationship with you. Search your heart today. And know that before we have this time of invitation that, you know, we're going to receive Holy Communion today, the Lord's Supper. The Bible says it's, it's such an important thing that God wants you to search your heart, examine yourself. He doesn't want there to be something between you and Him and you act like there's not. Before you take this representing His body and His blood as a Christian, he wants to make sure that you've made peace with him. If there's something between you and him, this is the time during this invitation to make sure your heart is clear and clean. Father God, I love you. I praise you. I pray that you would work, Lord, in this invitation. Let the Holy Spirit have such a freedom to move in this place. I pray this, Father, that if there's someone here, someone watching that's lost, they would see their need to be saved. Father, I pray that if there's anyone here that's drifted away, and Lord, maybe we've got that relationship with you, but Lord, it's turned into a have to instead of a want to, and you know it. Show us who we are. And then, Lord, for those that are here, Lord, they're, they're just living the, the peace and the beauty of that, that want to relationship with you. I pray, God, that as they pray to you this morning, give their praise, Lord, that you just fill them, Lord, fill them with your peace. I pray in Jesus' name.